everybody. This is the Block Club Chicago podcast. I'm John Hanson, and this is a rare Monday edition of our It's All Good podcast. I figured after the Super Bowl and well, temperatures are still nice and the sun's out today. Uh, it is a Monday after all, and we need some positivity on this uh, weekday morning. Quinn Myers here to provide it. Normally, we're talking about city council and we can assure the listener today's story has nothing to do with the city council, right? It does not, but it is chock full of classic Chicago stuff, beer, uh, the great fire, uh, you know, everything that you could ever want in a, a true Chicago story. I love that. Yeah, we're going back to the 19th century with this one. Um, I guess we should start here in the present day and then we can kind of reverse engineer this story because Sipe Brewing had relaunched in 2020. And I know you'll give us our history in a bit, but in the current moment, they had kind of relaunched in a partnership with Metropolitan Brewing, which just closed. Do I have that correct? That's correct. In 2020, uh, Lauren Mack, whose great, great, great grandfather, Conrad Sipe, uh, started this site brewing company in Chicago. She relaunched the company essentially and partnered with Metropolitan Brewing in Avondale to basically revive, relaunch uh, several of her relatives' beers. Um, this happened, started really in 2020 with a beer you may have seen around Chicago, the Sipes Extra Pale Pilsner. They call it a pre-prohibition Pilsner. Um, and it was a big success. And they've added a few more beers over the years um, based off of Sipe brands, although not quite exactly the same because they don't have the recipes from about 100, 150 years ago. Hmm. Um, but they uh, based, relaunched with Metropolitan and um, things are going well. Uh, but last year, of course, as you mentioned, Metropolitan closed. There was a pretty big news story in the beer community here. So now Sipe has partnered with a new brewery, uh, Pilot Project Brewing, which is a sort of beer incubator. They work with small brewers to kind of help them grow their business. Uh, and they will be making Sipe beer in Milwaukee now. So mm. that's kind of the latest update, although it will still serve, you know, be all over Chicago, Chicago bars, taverns, uh, corner stores and, and grocery stores. OK, well, that's good news moving forward. But now let's get the history. So Sipe started when? Yes. Yeah, so Conrad Sipe was a German immigrant. Uh, he came over to Chicago in the 1850s, uh, like many other German immigrants, uh, German uh, many Germans came to Chicago in the late 19th century, second half of the 19th century. And Sipe started his brewery in 1854 um, and started churning out fresh beer. He actually established a brewery on the South Lakefront where kind of the old Michael Reese site was. So almost in Bronzeville, hmm. um, it was actually uh, a you know twist of fate that helped him a lot because when the Great Fire of 1871 happened, it went north uh, from basically the near west side and spared his brewery while knocking out, you know, almost 20 of his competitors. I'm sure he wasn't happy about that uh, because of his competitors. But, you know, it did kind of create an opening in the market for him to start selling more and more beer, especially as people flock to Chicago to rebuild the city. I can tell um, you what, so after the fire, I would want a beer, too, and I'd be glad that one survived. I think so, right? I, I probably would have uh, more than a, a few beers. Um, so, <laughs> right. so, so, Sipe is churning out beers, and at one time, by the by the turn of the century, he's he's his company is making two hundred fifty thousand barrels of beer, and they actually, for one moment, were the largest brewery in the entire country. Two hundred fifty thousand um, a day, a year, or what? Two hundred fifty thousand barrels of beer a year. Okay. Um, so, 
uh, pretty sizable amount. Yeah. Um, and it, it's pretty, you know, ubiquitous. You see these uh, old signs um, of Conrad Seib Pilsners and other beers at, at bars. There's one of uh, at the World's Fair of 1893. Um, so Seib, you know, he dies in 1890 and his family kind of continues on the business. Um, and for a uh, several decades, they were incredibly successful in Chicago. They were at the World's Columbia Exposition. They were, I, I think, like many other, uh, you know, other brewers. Uh, we have a picture in our article that came out today on Monday, um, showing uh, in the streets of Constantinople uh, on the Midway Plaisance, right outside the the, the official World's Fair grounds. There's a Conrad Seib Pilsner, five cents a glass, uh, an advertisement for it. So, you know, this is something that if you were uh, if you were a, a tavern goer or maybe even just a regular Chicagoan, you would probably be familiar with the name Conrad Seib. So Seib producing 250,000 barrels a year, you know, going all over the country, maybe the you said the biggest, largest brewery in the nation at the world's Columbian Exposition. It's a similar story to some of the other big brewers. A German immigrant comes and starts it. Then more German immigrants come and consume it. Why didn't Sipe become a household name that everyone knew forever, like we would for a Budweiser or a Pabst? What happened? Yeah, I mean, I think for a little while it, it did. Um, and then, you know, we see like the big beer beer titans pop up uh, and grow in, of course, Milwaukee and St. Louis. Um, and Sipe uh, runs into some financial trouble, the company in World War One, uh, And then, of course, come. Prohibition comes along and they actually uh, tried to stay open during Prohibition, but closed in 1933, right before the 18th Amendment was repealed. Um, and they barely uh, closed, you know, they almost made it, um, but they, they were unable to they were unable to stay open and they they closed for good in 1933. Like like you said, you know, they did not become that household name. And for many years, decades, almost a century uh, they were kind of forgotten, uh, except by the people who, you know, were related to Sipe or were beer nerds, beer historians. Now, a lot of people might be listening and wondering, well, how did any company, beer company, survive during Prohibition? But I know a lot of them started selling basically the materials that went into beer. It was illegal to distribute beer, but it was a lot of people made it from their homes. Of course, the brewers like, well, I don't know. I'm just selling these ingredients and the home kits and they can do whatever they need to do. And that's how a lot of them survived. Those businesses pivoted for a little better part of a decade. And Sipe wasn't able to do it, apparently. Yeah, I, they tried that. And I was talking to Lauren Mack, um, who re restarted Sipe. Uh, you know, and this is kind of her whole story. And she said that through her research, uh, they tried to do that. You know, they tried to sell near beer or they tried to even sell ginger ale and, you know, stuff like that. Um, but they just couldn't leg it out uh, until the end of Prohibition, uh, like like many other breweries. So 87 years, this company is dormant. I, this is a technical question. I don't know if you know the answer because you mentioned that Mac is the great, great, great granddaughter of Conrad Sipe. Does the family, do they still own the name? Do they own the the trademarks and all that stuff? Or did she just take it on herself and restarted it and has the authority to do so by being a relative? What's that like? Yeah, I, I think that's my understanding is, I, you know, I don't know about any of the trademarks or any of that is still, um, you know, legally enforceable. Probably but yeah. Not. No, I don't think it is. But yeah, in 2020, 2019, 2020, Lauren starts thinking about reviving, 
you know, uh, Conrad Site Brewing Company. And she, there's a lot of history out there, a lot of research that she did. She connected with Liz Garibay, who is uh, well known in Chicago beer circles. She's a, a historian who has a focus on beer, tavern culture, uh, that sort of thing. She actually runs Beer Culture Center, formerly the Chicago Bruseum, which is this kind of, you know, hopefully one day we'll have a museum dedicated to the history of beer. Um, and Liz and Lauren uh, work together to kind of uh, resuscitate this brand. And then ultimately, um, Liz helps Lauren connect with Metropolitan Brewing. Uh, and that makes sense because Metropolitan, if you remember, focuses or focused on, you know, German style lager beer. Right. Um, and this was kind of a natural fit for the, the site brand. I'm still not recovered, by the way, that Metropolitan has shut down over at WGN Radio, where I work. They helped us out with our 100 year anniversary beer in 2022, which was incredible. I used to live basically across the river from Metropolitan Brewing. Um, so anyway, sorry, that's a quick aside, Quinn, about yeah, how much I love that place. Was, they were, they were a huge staple, um, of the, not just the Chicago beer scene, but just Chicago in general. Um, so it, it was, a, it was really a, a sad day when they closed, uh, in December. So when they launched the site, uh, in 2019, 2020, does it take off pretty quickly? Yeah, well, it's funny because uh, back in the summer of 2020, and this was like early COVID era, I was actually working at Channel 11 and I did a story on the re return of the Sipes Extra Pale Pilsner. Um, and so it's been a story that I've been following for a while. And yeah, you know, I started seeing it at bars, corner, you know, kind of, I, I feel like it's become a staple at some of these classic corner bars like Archie's in Ukrainian Village, the Chip Inn in West Town. I've seen it at Map Room, it's at the Hideout. So I think there's kind of a, a, a connection with some of these old historic Chicago bars taking on this old historic Chicago beer. So it's definitely uh, been popular, popular enough where in 2021, uh, Metropolitan and uh, Sipe launched the Columbia Bach that is based off of a uh, dark beer that was sold during the World's Fair. Um, and it was, you know, advertised as having unusual strength. Uh, and then the following year in 2022, they launched uh, what is called the Bavarian and they decided to make that a Hefeweizen. And something I thought was really interesting is they didn't have the exact recipes. And when I talked to Lauren, she said, you know, actually, that was a good thing. We could you kind of do these brewing forensics based on advertising, based on what we knew about how beer was made at that time and kind of get very close to what it probably would have tasted like, but also make it maybe a little more palatable for the modern contemporary drinker. Um, so that's kind of what they have been trying to do with their three beers. And eventually they would want to launch other beers based off of Sipes Classics. But for right now, they have uh, the three with the extra pale Pilsner kind of being their their flagship beer. I think it was good timing for anyone that like was part of the craft beer uh, craze of the you know 2010s. You know, those IPAs, those dirty IPAs were so popular for so long. And not that there's still not some really great IPAs out there. Shout out to Spiteful. That's my favorite one uh, locally in Chicago. But I think that by 2019, 2020, a lot of people were itching for something different. The Pilsners and totally. Income Sipe. It kind of worked out. Totally. And that's you know why I Metropolitan in general was one of my favorite breweries. I love Dovetail up in Ravenswood because they focus on these classic lager, Pilsner, Kolsch's, beers that are really tasty, but not overpowering, not too alcoholic. You know, you can drink a beer, drink one of them at the beach or outside somewhere. And that's kind of become my favorite. And I honestly think Sype for me personally, reporting on them four years ago, that got me into the the Pilsner lager uh, mindset. And it's become kind of my favorite style. And I think that's that's true for a lot of other people who kind of got burnt out on the IPA craze. 
Okay, so they're heading north to a brewery out of Milwaukee. You said that we can still be able to get the beers here. I guess that's a little fitting because I think maybe some people know, maybe they don't even realize if they've ever done like a Lake Geneva boat cruise or they've seen some of the fantastic estates. One of them is the beer barons himself. His home is there. That's true. Yes. Conrad Seip had a, a big house um, on Lake Geneva and there are a couple connections, you know, so uh, Lauren Mack with Seip has partnered with Pilot Projects Brewing and they actually have a Chicago Logan Square tap room in small brewery that you may be familiar with on Milwaukee Avenue, just uh, between California and Western. So they have a Chicago presence, but then they have a kind of larger production facility up in Milwaukee. And it's actually in a former Pabst Brewing distribution center. Um, so there's this kind of you know, cyclical connection here. Um, and actually Frederick Pabst uh, and Conrad Seip were even friends. Um, Pabst was one of Seip's honorary pallbearers at his, at his funeral. So there are there are myriad connections, uh, not just between Milwaukee and Chicago, but also Seip and Pabst. And it, it kind of makes a lot of sense, I think. Um, and that's what Lauren told me is that she feels really good, not just about um, you know, pilot project as a company, but as the kind of historical continuation. And then the most important thing that she stressed to me uh, was that this the main ingredient of site beer will remain the same, and that is Lake Michigan water. Uh, and that's what I used back in the 19th century, and that's what they're using today. So long as it's not Chicago River water, I'm happy. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Lake Michigan water, that's great. Well, it's awesome that's that they're going to be continuing this. It would have been a shame if uh, the unfortunate closing of Metropolitan had, you know, ruined the momentum. And I'm sure that definitely threw a wrinkle in their plans. But onward and upward and honoring a great Chicago tradition that I think, you know, some Chicagoans probably know a lot about. But you've definitely told us and informed a lot more of us, Quinn. Yeah, it's a great story. It's, a you know, an inspiring story of someone connecting with their you know, family history, but also the history of their city to make something new. So, uh, yeah, check it out. By the way, you also mentioned Archie's there and that uh, I used to live across the street from Archie's, too. And uh, I was reminded of my 20s, Quinn. That was very sweet of you to think about <laughs> cheese balls, the marlin on the wall, uh, playing pool with dogs running around. You can't beat Archie's. Yeah. If you ever want uh, to get a beer at 2 p.m., John, just call me and we'll meet at Archie's. <laughs> Wait, no, wait, we might have to do that. Quinn Myers, great story. Thanks for sharing it with us. Thanks, John. All right. Hey, Block Club Chicago is not only on a podcast, not only on TV, we're on the radio too. On 720 WGN Wednesday, Thursday, Friday mornings with extremely local news. Here's a recent appearance by our good friend and uh, publisher, our boss, Seamus Toomey. Seamus Toomey joins us from Block Club Chicago. We call this extremely local news, and it's a pretty uh, big area of the city, though, that's going to be affected by this new deal uh, that will ticket cars and, uh, what is it, bike lanes and also bus lanes, Seamus? That's right, Bob. Um, this is really targeting uh, folks that park in downtown uh uh, bike and bus lanes, um, delivery drivers are some of the, the bigger culprits, but I know we've all seen uh, just about everyone uh, sort of ignore those, uh, those bike lanes and those uh, red bus lanes downtown. Um, the area is going to be from uh, North Avenue to, Rose uh, to Roosevelt on the south and Ashland to the lake. So pretty much uh, the entire downtown area is going to be part of this pilot program. Um, they say it's going to start uh, sometime around this summer. And uh, the way it works is they've been putting, for the past year, cameras on CTA buses and other city vehicles um, that will uh, just automatically uh, take pictures of 
people parking in the bus lanes and then um, they'll send a ticket to uh, whoever the car is registered to the the first month is just going to be warnings but after 30 days they're gonna they're gonna start sending real fines which they say are could be anywhere from 60 bucks to 250 bucks so i'm not exactly sure what the threshold is but i would imagine if you're a repeat offender they probably start climbing pretty quickly that's pretty sneaky they figured out a way to do it with automated cameras haven't they yeah, that's right. The, uh, the you don't need to just wait for a uh, a meter mate or whatever they call them nowadays. Uh, <laughs> to to catch you, yeah. So uh, w- watch out. Don't park in the bike. Don't park in the bike lanes. Uh, we've got some uh, Fulton Market news from the West Loop. What's going on? I know you and I always like to catch up on uh, what huge building is going up in the Fulton Market area. Um, this one, uh, this one was originally supposed to be. They're calling it a life science building, um, where it's going to be a, a research hub where scientists could go and rent lab space, and uh, would be job training as well. Uh, they really sold the neighbors on this um, for the past couple years. This is at. 400 North Elizabeth, which is uh, basically Hubbard and Ogden, so really sort of on the far west side of uh, the West Loop. But um, they kind of pulled a switch on the neighbors this week uh, at a meeting. They said, uh, yeah, the life sciences building, uh, it's not ready for prime time. We're going to build apartment towers instead. So mm-hmm. um, the neighbors were neighbors were uh, a little honked off about it because they've been working to scale this thing down, and all of a sudden now it's too, I would say, about 30 30-story apartment buildings, and I'm sure they're going to be luxury. It's going to be about 700 uh, different units. And uh, I I just remain amazed at uh, just the sort of the the boom going out out there where, you know, so many places around town don't get this. And then, but uh, the West Mm -hmm. Loop and Fulton Market, uh, every other day there's a 40-story building going up and enough people to spend, you know, whatever, $3,000 a month to live there. (laughs) They just need a few more parking spaces there, don't they? Oh my gosh, yes. So I, 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 could, I could speak for hours about what a nightmare it is to, to try to park. Uh, that's probably why people park in the bus lanes and the bike lanes, yeah, because exactly. th- there's no real spots, yeah. I'm fascinated by this story, because every time I've driven uh, up Lincoln Avenue past the Diplomat, you know, I wonder, uh, it's, still, it's still open? Who stays there? Uh, what's happening to that, that hotel, yeah. motel, actually? <laughs> Yeah, the Diplomat Hotel. Um, this is at fifty-two thirty North Lincoln. Um, uh, you know, one of those fourteen hotels that went up on. Uh, uh, they called it Motel Row in the forties and fifties, when uh, before the Edens and the Kennedy really made it sort of obsolete. Um, it's still there. It's mostly used um, uh, for people sort of down on their luck at this point, and the city is uh, working on a plan to formalize that. The city was going to. Uh, buy the diplomat and turn it into 40 rooms they're calling it transitional housing but uh, they would it would be more than just housing they would have some mental health services and some medical care on site as well and really targeting people that are um, between uh, between apartments and just trying to get back on their feet so this plan's been kicking around for a while it's it's about a three million dollar project coming from uh, city funds so they're uh, they've got a meeting tonight uh, 6 p.m at Swedish Covenant hospital Hospital to uh, to brief neighbors on what's going on, but uh, yeah, you know, of those fourteen motels, um, nine of them are still actually f- uh, functioning. But um, if anyone has driven down Lincoln Avenue on the north side, you you know this is uh, there. It's far from their uh, 
from their uh, 40s and 50s heyday, a lot of these yeah. places are pretty run down, and usually just the uh, the neon signs on some of them are the only things that remain. I, mean, I guess, as you say, before the expressway, back in the day, people would use Lincoln Avenue, and they'd be driving to Milwaukee and back, and so there would be some good business for those uh, hotels and motels. I, I love this story of the Chicago cabbie who may have hit the big time. Tell us about this. Oh, yeah. This is, I think, my favorite story of the day. There's a, uh, a Chicago cabbie by the name of Jack Clark, and um, he uh, in the 90s, I would say, he, he started writing this Pulp Fiction novel about a, uh, a Chicago cabbie who, who didn't want to get involved, but he saw so many people he knew getting killed by a serial killer, so he, he jumps into action and, uh, and helps work on the case. Um, it's called Nobody's Angel, and Jack used to hand it out to his, uh, his, his, his uh, rides in his car. You know, here, here's a copy of my book. It kicked around for a while, but out of nowhere, uh, Quentin Tarantino named it as one of his favorite books <laughs> of the year uh, in, a, in a write-up that, that Amazon does on their, in their book section. And um, once Tarantino uh, raved about it, uh, Jack said he's been just selling these faster than ever before. He actually just sold the, the rights to a publishing company, uh, which is going to do a reprint of it um, in two weeks. So it's going to, Nobody's Angel is going to be back. It's, it's been around for a while, but, um, uh, you know, I, we don't know how Tarantino actually got a hold of this book. Either does the author himself, but he's hmm. saying, uh, thank you so much for the, uh, for the kind words. Uh, Nobody's Angel is, uh, is uh, selling out again. So uh, I've not read it yet, but I'm going to get a new copy of it, I think, and, uh, and check it out, see how it ends. I won't ruin it. Yeah, I think a lot of people will. Thank you, Seamus Toomey. Have a good day. Thanks, Bob. And that'll do it for the Block Club Chicago podcast, a Monday It's All Good edition. More great stories at blockclubchicago.org. Please rate and review and subscribe to the podcast. We'd love that and help out our nonprofit newsroom. Till next time, I'm John Hanson. We'll drop another pod on you soon.